1: Hello and welcome back to the Self-Care Club. Thank you so much for joining us for the author's special. You can expect this episode every month at the end of the month. And today we are interviewing David Hamilton, who wrote the book, I Heart Me.
2: We are sat here with the wonderful David Hamilton, eager to discuss this month's book club of I heart me. David has a PhD in organic chemistry and spent four years in the pharmaceutical industry developing drugs for cardiovascular disease and cancer. Inspired by the placebo effect, he left the industry to write books and educate people in how they can harness their mind and emotions to improve their health. David is now the author of 10 books including the little book of kindness how your mind can heal your body and I heart me and the Amazon bestseller the five side effects of kindness he writes a regular blog on his website and occasional blogs for the huffington post David is the kindness sar for psychologies magazine and writes the kindness conversation and the kindness project he is also the life hacks monthly columnist for soul and spirit magazine and in 2016 he was voted best writer by readers of Kindred Spirit magazine. David is featured in the award-winning documentary Heal. He appears regularly in the media and was recently featured on Channel 4's live show Sunday Brunch in the UK and Sunday Morning on CBS in the USA. David is an advocate for kindness and is working passionately to help inspire a kinder world. Welcome to the Authors Special. Oh, thank you. It's always strange listening to
0: someone reading my bio. It always always sounds in my head more interesting
1: than I feel. (laughs) (laughs) It's fairly interesting. It's a pretty impressive bio. I'd be happy with that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We've
2: been reading this book all month um, and we've, we've loved reading it at the club and also tying it in with our self-love day and with Valentine's Day. But we always prefer for the authors to give an overview of what the book is about rather than us, because you're the one who wrote it. So would you give us a sort of synopsis of, of I Heart Me? Well,
0: the, the basic synopsis is uh, I'm I'm teaching people how to feel better on the inside. I think of self-love or self-esteem as an inner sense of worthiness and value. So I approach the subject from a few different angles, you know, because some people can feel a deficit in self-love In a different way. So I've approached the subject from slightly different angles, but always backing up the ideas with signs. That's kind of what I do anyway. And for example, when I say backing up with signs, I've got a a couple of chapters on the importance of wearing self-love on your body. And I don't mean by the clothes that you wear, but in terms of how you hold and move your body. So if you hold and move your body in a particular way, for example, as if power your body pose. is... Yeah, the power pose, yeah, <laughs> as if the body is saying, I have an inner sense of worthiness and value, then that can actually change how you feel and even wire brain networks. And so that's what I mean by putting a wee bit of science on it to to validate some of the the ideas. This is why I, the book's called I Heart Me, The Science of Self-Love. So, so, I approach, so I approach the subject from that side, but also from the subject of self-compassion. You know, understanding that it's okay to not feel great, and it's okay to to feel that you've made a mistake, and it's okay to not be happy, and it's okay to feel sad, it's okay to feel however uh, you feel. And, And another side I've approached it from is to say to people: part of self love can sometimes be just taking your life by the scruff of the neck and saying, "Look, I am I am now responsible for where my life goes from this moment forward. So here is what I am going to do." So that's roughly a a synopsis. As you can see, I've I've approached the subject from a couple of different perspectives, really because there is different ways of thinking of of low self-love and the need for more self-love.
1: Yes. Well, there's always need Mm. for more, isn't there? I will say Mm. that I did use your power pose exercise. Lauren and I had quite an important meeting last week and I was quite nervous about it. And I texted her before, right, I'm going to do my power pose. And I did. I stood in my pose (laughs) of what gave me confidence. And I really went into the meeting with a very different mindset. So... Thank you. It was fantastic.
0: I, I got the technique from some research at Harvard uh, and they, were, they did an experiment looking at the different biological effects of it. What I, I really added to the whole power pose thing is the importance of being consistent with it and how that can affect your long term feelings by, by wiring brain circuits.
1: It's, it's incredible, really. And mm. it really, really works. So I encourage anyone listening to really, A, go and read the book, of course, and B, try that power pose. One of the parts that I love most about the book was this three stages of enough that you talk about. And it actually runs throughout the whole book. And you've got the I am not enough, I've had enough, and I am enough. And you give all beautiful examples in the book of what stages people would be at and through their thought processes. Can you explain just a bit more about these different mindsets and the impact that each one has on us?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, each of these stages I I wrote based on experience, because I think the three stages of self-love reflect how I was feeling from when I started the book to when i was nearing the completion of the book so step stage number 1 i am not enough it's it's not like a conscious thing you're saying like i'm not enough for example but it's like an inner assumption that you carry that seems to affect your life so you tend to notice that you you struggle with being overly obsessed with people's opinions of whether people like you or not. You often avoid people in situations feeling very overly self-conscious about yourself, but also it can manifest in lacking of self-confidence. You tend to also see it in when you you're more susceptible to you're more susceptible to being you know let's say passed up for promotion or people taking advantage of you not because you you're making these things happen but because you're less likely to do anything about it less likely to to speak up because deep inside part of you doesn't feel you're able to not not because you don't that may be because you do, we don't feel worthy enough, but it also be because we don't feel confident enough. And so I, that, that I am not enough. Much of that was based on my own personal experience. So when I wrote about the description of that, I was really describing my own bio at the time <laughs> without the practical things that you added on <laughs> when you read my bio. But that's, it's a bio of how I was feeling, I suppose. But then you move into stage two. And stage two is I have had enough and that's the point in your life when you've decided you know i'm done with all that shit i'm done feeling that way and i'm done with with having that as my these physical circumstances around me as my life experience and when i say done with that when i say i've had enough you also there's an important recognition in here that part of or a large part of the reason for where my life is at the moment is to do with how I feel about myself. And that's what distinguishes I've had enough in terms of self-love from just I've had enough of X, Y, or Z in my life. You've had enough based on the self-love. You yeah. recognize it's got to do with how you feel about yourself. And because of that that part, because of your recognizing this has to do with how I feel about myself, then you find that things in your life very often shift Maybe they'll shift by themselves, but sometimes it's a consequence of you having physically taken a step forward. And then given enough time, some people can spend a long time in phase two or a short time, but given enough time, you, you reach step three, which is I am enough. And again, it's like stage one. You're not walking around saying I am enough. You don't need to. It's an inner assumption. It's just something <laughs> that you quietly feel. Like, I feel I have an inner sense of my own worthiness and value. And, and, and what you tend to find is less need for people to like you, less less reliance on people's opinions. It doesn't mean that you don't want people to like you. and It doesn't mean that you don't want good opinions and stuff. It just means that your sense of worthiness and value isn't dependent upon those things. Whereas in stage one, it is dependent upon those things. If someone changes opinion, it can be devastated. someone has gives you a bad review, for example, it could be devastating. But in stage three, even though these things can sting a little, it doesn't really shake your inner sense of worthiness and value. So you're not walking around in a cloud as if, you know, life is wonderful. It, you know, it, it just means that you have an inner resilience to much of what life can can throw at you. And it's just the resilience is on the inside. I have an inner sense of worthiness and value that's not dependent upon conditions and circumstances of my life.
1: Yeah.
2: I think Nicole and I both found that when we hit 40, that sort of I've had enough phase kicked in. You know, there is something that comes with age of like, this is who I am now. Mm. So I'm okay with that. And if you're not, that's your problem, not mine. And I <laughs> yeah. wonder if part of it comes comes with age. But um, my friend who was a doctor spent a weekend at a, um, a therapy course, just really to learn how to speak to her patients and be more empathic with them. And the therapist said, listen, let me just boil it down for you. You can waste 10 years of your life in therapy, or you can tell your children every day of their lives, you are enough. And if you tell your kids that, and if they feel that, they're going to be fine. She said, no one needs 10 years of therapy. No one needs to sit in a chair and talk about their feelings for years. They just need to feel you are enough. I thought it was like, you know, and then everything you wrote about the whole thing kind of came together for me and I got
1: it. Can we talk a bit about um, body image, which you talk about quite a bit in the book? And I think that's something, you know, we've discussed on the show many times and it's something that women mainly, I know it 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 is hard for men too at times, but women mainly can be really plagued by this. And the theory that you put in there that once you practice self-acceptance, that's when the changes happen um, and you describe it as the acceptance paradox. And this blew my mind. So could you tell the listeners a bit more about what that means?
0: Yeah, so I I called it the acceptance paradox because uh, normally maybe what we would say to ourselves is I will only be happy when I look like that, for example. It might be when my face is different or where my body is different or whether I've lost weight or gained weight, but I will be happy when I reach that point. And what happens then is we strive and strive and strive to reach that point and then you might feel a wee bit happier for a time but then the happiness disappears again and because what all we've actually done is put a sticking plaster a temporary sticking plaster because reaching that state hasn't done anything at all to solve the self-love issue that was driving the need to be that person. So the acceptance paradox says that once I accept myself, even if I've originally said the reason I want to get over there and be that, look like that, is because I don't like myself. But the moment you decide, well, I'm just going to accept myself, then change is spontaneous. So the acceptance paradox is you become then the thing you were trying to get to only when you accept that you're not there yet. Only when you accept where you are will you spontaneously become the thing that you were actually trying to get to. Because change then becomes organic. And it doesn't mean that you miraculously just become that person. But what happens is you begin to make organic, life-affirming changes from the inside. Because when you accept yourself, you're really saying, I am enough. So you're making, so from there, out of that I am enoughness feeling comes spontaneous life affirming decisions and choices like you suddenly feel like behaving in a different way or treating your body differently. Maybe you feel like doing a certain type of exercise or or changing the diet in some way, but you're not doing it because you're trying to be something else. You're doing it because it's, it's exploding out of an inner sense of worthiness and value of having accepted yourself as you were. So that's why I call it the acceptance paradox. The only way to get to where you want to go to is not to try to get there, but to accept where you actually are. And then your natural (laughs) organic sense will drive you to there.
2: So true. It's so true. And it's beautiful. The bit of your book that resonated most with me, because I found the first half, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm nearly 43. I feel pretty good about all this stuff. And I thought, yeah, you know, this is great, but I I, I get it. I get it. Then I hit the chapter about vulnerability and that was a bit, oh, a little bit ouch <laughs> for me. <laughs> and, you know, the whole business about there being strength in vulnerability and actually needing to show that and how important it is to show that and how would you define vulnerability why is it so important how does it support us through life because i'm still working on that now
0: yeah you know i i think i don't know if there's ever an end point to working on on that i'm still working on that For, for me i i would define it then based on what my experience was First of all, it was being true in acknowledging to myself what I felt were seeming weaknesses or seeming things I was afraid or embarrassed about. And then secondly, having the courage to do it anyway. You know, and I say the second part, I, I was so inspired by the book Daring Greatly mm-hmm. by Brenny Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that was my first introduction as a male to what that means. But I, I think for me, it was... Uh, whether it's just a male thing or not, I had to acknowledge first that this is how I was feeling and this is what I felt embarrassed about or ashamed about or afraid about. And then given that acknowledgement, then stepping out with a little bit of courage. <clears throat> and and for me, that I, some of that acknowledgement, some of that whole thing experience was born out of the loss of my dog. Uh, who had bone cancer, he was only two years yeah. old when he, when he passed away and and for me, it was such an emotional blow to losing him that I felt myself breaking down on stage when I was speaking and and, and the vulnerability for me and w- the whole thing for me was about acknowledging like, I, I was grappled at, the, at that moment. With the idea that I can't let, there's a thousand people watching me or 700 people watching me on stage here. If I break down and I'm teaching about self love or I'm teaching self development in some kind of way, people are are going to think, well, he's a crap teacher. I'm not going to listen to him. He can't even hold himself together on stage. You know, I'm not going to buy his book. And that was, I was wrestling with that idea. And the vulnerability was just like saying, well, fuck it. (laughs) Excuse the language. It was like, you know, it doesn't matter what people think. Yeah. I'm going to right now acknowledge how I feel. And for me, I, I was doing it partly for Oscar. I was saying I will not betray or how I felt about Oscar by pre- pretending that I have it all together because right now I do not have it all together. And I'm grieving. Period. And so in that acknowledgement, I decided not to be concerned with whether people accepted me as a speaker, even whether I got laughed or booed off stage. In that moment, I actually didn't care. I felt it was far more important in the grander scheme of things that I acknowledged my feelings and stepped out with courage, embraced it and said, well, this is me. This is the whole, the entirety of me, not just the shiny bit that you see from time to time on stage, but this is the other part of me. This is the entirety of who I am. Take it or leave it, but I'm here anyway. And a big step up in self-love for me is saying, here I am, take it or leave it, but I'm here. This is the wholeness of me, not just a wee part of me. And what was incredibly, uh, what was a, a great learning for me is that people accepted the teaching even more. In fact, what was funny, actually, was yes. the, the book sold out. Me having a fear that no one will buy my book. It was the fastest Hay House have ever sold out a book. They were sent <laughs> literally within three minutes, the entire stock of my book was gone. And the Hay House were sending people down the road to Waterstones oh. to buy up because there was none left. <laughs> and, and so I, the lesson for <laughs> me in amazing. that is when you have the courage to step into your vulnerability, it's like you send a wave outwards. It gives other people the courage also to be honest with themselves and if they need to step in out with a little bit of courage. Um. That was a great learning for me.
2: That was your quote, wasn't it? When we show our vulnerability, others see our greatness. And I yeah. guess in that moment, you were a real human being. You weren't just a person on stage giving a lecture. You were you and you had feelings. And I think people relate, relate to that. Yeah,
0: thanks. And, and, you know, that experience has shaped the rest of my life as a teacher, because since then, I have always been very true to myself and very open and honest. So through my social media, people often comment on my honesty and sincerity in my posts because I'm not going to hide anything. You know, I'm very open with the fact that I've struggled with mental health issues in my life with anxiety and, and fear and stuff like that. But I'm not going to. I wouldn't be doing my own self-love any good if I was to pretend that I was just this one part of me that everyone sees on stage and not the other part as well. It's important, I think, for all of us to not be afraid. It's okay, we can show people one side that's relevant, but not to be afraid to show the other side. That's the key, you can. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's more appropriate to show one side, but just don't be afraid. To show the other side, you have, to, you, you have a whole self. So just don't be afraid to show the other parts. That's the important thing. Because oftentimes people enter into relationships based on one part of themselves and afraid to show the other part. But you need to be, have courage to show the whole side of you.
1: I so relate to that. I just so much. And it also all ties into that beautiful piece of I am enough as I am. Mm. However I am, I am enough. Whether I'm on the floor so heartbroken about losing my dog or whether I'm on stage in front of a thousand people able to address mm. everybody, you know, in all my greatness. I am enough whatever I'm doing and however I am. And I think that is that that is a beautiful message throughout your entire book and and that's the epitome of self-love isn't it Uh, absolutely and then and then you move into the um, the authenticity piece which is also I find as challenging as vulnerability I think these are the two things that I will be learning for the rest of my life Um, and how vital standing in true authenticity like you did on that stage how vital that is for your self-love and 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 for yourself but inevitably by standing in that authenticity at times you do you can upset people you can rub people up the wrong way and i want to know like do you have any answers for this like how do you make your peace with that because i get how important it is to be authentic and i want to be authentic for the rest of my life as much as i possibly can but i do struggle to let go of other people's expectations of me, because sometimes you step out of politeness and you step outside of saying the right thing or doing the right thing because you're putting your authenticity in front of that.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't know if there's a single one size fits all answer to that because I think it's different for each person. I think we have our own individual experiences, don't we, that that are, you know, mine might be slightly different from yours. But on the whole, what I found, it, it's an ongoing, you, you nailed it yourself, actually, when you said earlier, it's an ongoing learning process. You sort of try something and it bounces back. And then you think, well, is there another way that I can still preserve my authenticity, but maybe communicate it in a different mm-hmm. way? And communicating it in a different way doesn't mean, doesn't have to mean that I'm not being authentic. You could you could feel or de- decide for yourself that part of my authenticity right now is just finding a different way to express it or a different way to communicate it. Maybe I'll find some other words that I can use next time. I might not get it right. And that's part of self-love anyway, self-acceptance, self-compassion, <laughs> but I can try. And just it's, it becomes an iterative process, yeah. I suppose.
1: Yeah, thank you. Try Notion for free when you go to Notion.com slash self care club.
2: That's all lowercase letters, Notion.com slash self care club, and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show.
1: Notion.com slash self care club. This week at Sukarnov. On the Luke and Pete show, Luke introduced
0: me to some bizarre animal warfare. In the 70s, There was a. (laughs) I can't remember going to say this, but I promise you it's true. There was a war, an actual war, between rival chimpanzee clans that went on for over four years. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, on abroad in Japan, Chris is facing off against a natural disaster. So, the same day that I'd run out of fuel, right, I was like, well, I made it in one piece. Thank you, God. And then, then like, five hours later, the worst earthquake I've ever experienced. It was a 15-storey building, shaking from side to side. It went on so long, I was like, this hotel's coming down, and I don't want to be in it when it does. Listen to Abroad in Japan and The Luke and Pete Show available on your favourite podcast player.
1: All that and a whole lot more at (laughs) Sakano. Throughout your book, you have something called the self-love gym, which I loved at the end of each chapter, which has got a few um, exercises for you to sort of play around with and see how it goes. And in the authenticity one, it literally sent shivers down me. And there was one question that you asked, what actions could you take or conversations could you have in the next few days that would help you to be more authentic? And when I read it, I sort of got a little shiver and I felt very fearful <laughs> because I kind of knew mm. what that meant for me and it's so yeah. brave isn't it to show up authentically like does the fear ever go away or is it something that we have to just accept is that also part of the acceptance that it's always going to be there
0: yeah you know I think my experience is it's always there but in the getting used to it that the so I guess the the, the, the intensity of it diminishes, whether the intensity in and of itself has actually diminished or it's just because I'm getting used to it, I, I don't know. But another really important part there is you don't have to get it right first time. Like, you know, I, again, you've said a few times so, so nicely that it is an ongoing process, which it absolutely is. So even when you come to that exercise, you don't have to nail it and, and make the most authentic step. In the, in the world that suddenly plants yourself <laughs> at 10 out of 10 on the self-love scale. So, you know, one thing that I've learned <laughs> is you can do it in and baby steps. <laughs> I could say given that there's a whole range of steps that I could take that are a wee bit more authentic than I am now to a huge bit more authentic. I think sometimes when we take action steps like that, we think we need to do the, the step to the, high at the top of the stairs on one go. And so you might then reframe that question is what could I do? What, even if it's a baby step, like a tiny a tiny little bit more authentic than I've been recently. It doesn't have to be that big conversation or that yeah. big step out in the world. It could be something subtle but meaningful enough that I recognize it personally that this represents me how, taking however small a step forward in authenticity, and it means because when I wrote this book, I was in a rush to to love myself, hmm. and I remember uh, having a a very challenging conversation with the, the MD of Hay House because I'd written the book too quickly. I tried to love myself too fast. <laughs> <laughs> and not really doing it authentically. And I remember the MD of Hay House <laughs> took me aside and said, you know, we all love you in the office, but I can't accept this manuscript as it is. If I do, if we publish it as it is, it will be damaging to your career. Now, that's the, the most direct feedback I've ever had <laughs> for wow. a book. But it was said very compassionately. It's blunt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it, you know, it was <laughs> said compassionately. And... and w- with real understanding, yeah. and I was given an unlimited deadline after that. There was no more a deadline for that book. It was uh, take as long as you need, which Michelle Pilley was so great about that. Mm. Uh, and, and, and what yeah. I was meaning there is sometimes we can be in too much of a rush to get to self-love too quickly. Like I'm going to take that big authentic step that's a 10 out of 10 on the scale of authenticity, but in actual fact, all you need to say is, given where I am in my life and how I feel right now, could I take even a baby step, like a, a one out of 10, like even just climb the first rung of that ladder that might be 50 steps high or the first yeah. uh, st- step in that staircase that might be 10 steps high. I don't have to do the whole thing today. And, and what that does, it takes a little bit of pressure off you. And it, it gives you, it helps you feel a little bit of self compassion, yeah. mm. honoring your needs where you are right now. But at the same time, because you know you're doing it authentically, you're, you are taking an honest, authentic step forward, even if it's just a little step, but it's meaningful for you. And that's at the end of the beautiful. day, that's all that actually matters. Mm.
1: Thank you, David. That is such a beautiful answer and is much more kind and calming and a much nicer way to approach it. So thank you.
0: Oh, thank you.
2: Can we talk a little bit about self, about self-compassion? There was something quite amazing in the book about the scientific biological links between self-compassion and inflammation in the body. Um, mm. there's You wrote about something called the hard marriage, hard heart research, which was mm. quite astounding, <laughs> I thought. Um so consistent hostility and aggression in relationships is strongly linked with hardening of the arteries in a piece of startling symmetry where the outside reflects the inside. That is like So basically it is as bad for you as a bad diet. So can we talk a bit about how self compassion is is the antidote?
0: Yeah so 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 what that research and there's a whole body of research in that area, really showing that hostility and aggression is correlated with, and not not even correlated, but causative of some forms of cardiovascular uh, disease. And and part of that is inflammation that's created as a consequence of that. So self-compassion, you can think of as a psychological anti-inflammatory, because in in a sense, what you're doing is you're, you're taking the you know, if you think of when you're aggressive towards yourself, I was making a point there that when you're aggressive and hostile towards others, it can create a inflammation physically in, in the body in the cardiovascular system and in the immune system, that much as, as well known in science. But what if you're being aggressive and hostile towards yourself, Yeah. then you get the same effect, right? So, so you could think of self-compassion as easing of the hostility and aggression towards yourself, easing of that way that you treat yourself and speak to yourself and think of yourself. And, and I was pointing out that when the, when compassion replaces a hostility and aggression, inflammation drops. And that's something, again, we know from science, because scientists got volunteers to practice a compassion-based meditation, part of which is focused on self-compassion. The meditation they used was metta or loving kindness. It's a Tibetan Buddhist that, that starts with, may I be happy? May I be well? May I be safe? May I be at ease? May I be happy? May I be well? May I we be safe? We did it. Yeah, yeah. And then it moves on to others. So may other people be happy and safe and well and uh, ease, for example. Uh, and so that is well known in science that that has actually created an anti-inflammatory effect. It actually does it by by creating increased activity in the calming portion of the nervous system. It's, it's the vagus nerve. And it increases activity in the calming portion of the vagus nerve, and that has an anti-inflammatory uh, component that's well known uh, in science. It's amazing. And, and so, so I was pointing out that the practice of self-compassion reduces that psychological inflammation. It replaces hostility and aggression towards yourself with compassion, and as a consequence, yes. the physical effects of that are obvious. You know, as an easing of physical inflammation as well inside the body.
2: Mm. I loved the um, the Dove deodorant miracle. I'm not going to go over it now, but you need to read the book to find out about it. But I, I had my own miracle after doing the loving kindness meditation. I actually sent it to Nicole to do for a friend. And I thought, well, while I'm here, I might as well. And so I did it and sent it out to someone that I was having difficulty conflict with, who I hadn't spoken to since July. And within the hour, they texted me to say, I love you. Can we start over? We'd had no communication. I sent the meditation. In came the text. I I freaked. I phoned a call and I freaked. I said, oh my God, I have to tell David. I had my own dove miracle, but it was quite bizarre.
0: That's it. that's incredible. You know, it's <laughs> something I frequently hear when people do the loving-kindness meditation applied to other people. You, you think of someone... Because part of it, part of the, really? the loving-kindness... Yeah, part of the loving-kindness is when you think of the uh, the, the the difficult person. I, I don't mean it's a common... Every, like, it happens to everyone. I don't mean to minimise your experience at all. <laughs> I, I want to validate it, actually, by saying that I totally get that. I totally agree believe you and i totally agree because i would you expect that and so in a portion of people what you hear is they do the meditation and all of a sudden that difficult person the relationship transforms all of a sudden the person's communicating with them and even if it's someone at work you have difficulty with all of a sudden the person's being nice to you and you think wow it's all of a sudden kind of thing so it's it often occurs it, and, and testimony to your ability to genuinely feel that compassion, that's a lot says a lot about you and how you pr- do that practice. You were able to feel the genuine feeling of compassion that comes with that practice, and it was the quality of you being able to feel it that actually created that situation where you got that text. So, so you know, kudos to you and your ability oh, to break through you. what you had been feeling. And it was your capacity to to reach that emotional state in yourself that allowed that text to happen. So well done, you.
2: Well, thank you. That
1: that's that's very kind. Thank you very much, David. We could sit here all day and talk to we you. Could. And we are so <laughs> thrilled that you've come back twice on the club. You're our only guest that we've had twice, and we were thrilled that you agreed um, to be our to do our author special. We absolutely love this book we could not recommend it enough i um i will definitely read it again i actually listened to it on audio and i read it so it was so been so lovely to see you in wow. person and because i've had you in my ears for the past few weeks it's been wonderful Please, can you let our listeners know how else they can find you and how else they can tap into more of your beautiful work?
0: Uh, Well, my my website, drdavidhamilton.com in terms of what I'm doing, I I have lots of online stuff. I I run Personal Development Club where I do monthly live talks uh, and Q&As and and put videos on self-love, different aspects onto a a private website. I'm also very active in social media where I regularly post Videos and little blogs, so Instagram and Facebook and a uh, Twitter, so you can find me uh, on all of those individual channels as well.
1: Thank you, lovely,
0: and thanks for your kind words.
1: Ah, oh, well, we really mean them. And just to point out, also, if you are one of our new listeners, David was our expert in our Kindness Week, so go back and check him out uh, because that was a really incredible week where we practiced kindness following David's lead thank you so much for being here Um, we like to end with a quote it says all of us have stuff, baggage regrets, we get the idea that we need to eliminate all of that to be healed, but that's not true at all peace is when we accept it all, and if we can be at peace with ourselves, we will be enough, by David Hamilton thank you, bye bye (laughs)